G'day friends of the show. If you are liking what you're hearing and want to level up and become a super friend of the show, whoa, super, that must be so cool. It is. Head to ideasdigest.org. On that website, you can click the donate money if you just want to drop a bit of a donation. That's pretty super. But if you want to subscribe to the private podcast feed where we drop bonus content. Last week, I attempted a meditation from uh, Anita Munjani, whose book we explored in that episode. It, you know, spoiler alert, wasn't that bad. Or you can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Five stars really helps us out. Thanks for your support and enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide society. Jeez, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And we attempt to open our minds. That's the goal. Attempt. 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 We can only attempt. My name's Conrad. I'm Matt. This week, Matt, I've taken a look at some news headlines that's been popping up, okay? And I have an idea for you and a friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who's here? <laughs> You're sort of talking like he's not here. Maybe yeah, you yeah. should introduce no, him. No, no. But podcast listeners don't know he's here. Okay, cool. Okay. Video, even video feed won't see the angle okay, yet. Cool, so cool. it's a mystery at this point in time. Okay. Okay. And this idea, like it keeps popping in and out of mm-hmm. like the mainstream media. They love it. It's like scandal after scandal, new information. Boom. Another headline. Mm-hmm. Let me read you some of the headlines that have been popping up. Okay. Really warm people into this. Uh, Former Hillsong pastor say they were threatened by Brian Houston to hand over their church and assets. Wow. Serious. Hillsong, Brian Houston. So mm-hmm. we've got a mega church theme. This here. is like mega church royalty, really. The king. Mm. <laughs> I think the king himself yeah. of, of at least Australian mega churches. Um, another headline Washington Times. Hillsong Church loses leaders at another US congregational. Congregation. At another US congregation amid, amid scandal. Courier Mail. That's a good one. Hillsong Church ex-members expose mega churches' toxic culture. That's a good one. You'll see why later. So it's it's essentially like the the media has been chasing Hillsong for years, years, mate, years, and now they're just kids in a candy store because some, it's just exploded with mm. controversy recently. Yeah. Yep. So so mega churches. It seems like have done a lot of damage to people. They've mm-hmm. hurt a lot of people. People are hitting up the Twitter sphere and everything. Hundred percent. Um, inappropriate conduct from the top. The king has mm-hmm. been fallen, uh, doing some dodgy sexual sexual things. Alleged, alleged. Alleged. Don't sue me. I don't know. Can I get sued for that? Probably. Probably. <laughs> Probably. It's Hillsong. Come on. <laughs> What's that tide paying for? Yeah. <laughs> they got millions of bucks, man. <laughs> they do. They do. Okay. So why is this divisive? This is, this is the thing. So there's like the people that have been hurt by this church, but mm-hmm. then there are the people who are currently still in the church right now who... When they hear a critique of their the king himself, they went, no, no, lead pastor. They wouldn't, mm-hmm. they wouldn't say that. The king, no, no, no. That's Jesus. Um, Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> yeah, it, it might literally be confusing for some people. <laughs> <members, though. laughs> 
<laughs> okay. And, and so when you critique this system, even making jokes like we have, we might mm-hmm. have, you know, friends of the show might be listening and go, oh, hang on, that's a bit insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. As, you're, as you're critiquing the system, it's tied up in religion, sure. God, spirituality. So that's why it's pretty divisive. I think people kind of gather that. And there's those two big camps mm. that we're seeing here. So if I put my culture war goggles on, mm-hmm. all right, look good. Oh, I'm right. I'm right with you. I'm ready. I'm sort of imagining VR though. I'm so ready it's... for Sky News yeah, okay. or Fox oh, News wow. for our American friends of the show. Um, so this would be like Christians versus the godless secular. That's like what those headlines might mm-hmm. kind of come across as, or like the world versus the kingdom of God. Right? It's like us versus the world. The church mm. and Christians are under attack by the devil, even because mm-hmm. he's trying to bring down God's sovereignty, God's home mm-hmm. on earth, God's chosen. Yes. And then on the other side, uh, the other side of that culture or divide, you've got like more religious, abusive people just trying to get power and hurting well-meaning sure. people in the process, right? It's just religious, power-hungry people. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's the two divides. So friends of the show listening, this is the interactive part that I think when you're listening, we've outlined a lot of positions you can come at this discussion from. Mm-hmm. Just make a mental note. Where do you sit? Where are we sitting? Just mental note. You don't have to tell anyone. You just... Mental mm. Maybe I'm closer to the God v. Christian side. Maybe I'm on the other side. I don't know. But see where you're coming at it from. And I think maybe a disclaimer that some of this could be very triggering. Good. This yeah. content, it can be extremely triggering. Someone like myself that's sort of been part of this world. I've got a lot of really close friends that were part of the early days at Hillsong and, um, you know, were, were part of the Hillsong brand that mm. are no longer part of it. And uh, it's it's... Man, it's it's for that for both sides of the fence. For someone that's been really on the on the wrong end or on the right end, it's been a very mm. Hillsong has occupied their life in a way mm. that it's difficult. It's really difficult unless you've been in a cult or something else to like really put into words mm. how huge that is. Mm. That big H Hillsong in their life, it's just it's either been really positive and it's transformed their life, and mm-hmm. that's why this will be like a bit sensitive, mm-hmm. or it's really caused some serious damage consistently over mm. many years. And that's also why. And the middle is it's done both. That's too much nuance. <laughs> <laughs> too, too much. So Matt, as we, as we do a bit of like marketing optimization for this episode, mm-hmm. you know, we need keywords. We need buzzwords. Mm-hmm. You've heard some of those, those headlines. Do you have like a, a, a clickbait? <sighs> kind of putting me on the spot. Kind of yeah. Uh, I, I, did I even write something down? Maybe you could I didn't. basically say Hillsong exposed. Its wow. days are numbered. The Jeez, rats good. are fleeing the sinking ship. That's, that's not bad. <laughs> this guy does work in marketing. I won't even, I was going to come up with one, but no, nah, I don't need to. I don't need to at this point. Something about toxic culture, freaking like mega churches, mm. pure capitalism. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that would trigger too many people. Everyone's like, what? Capitalism not bad. What are you talking about? Okay. So you've got to appeal to the Fox News guys. They'll be like, what? Capitalism? Yeah, I would Capitalism and Jesus? Come on. <laughs> hand in hand. Then I get the hate tweets. And right, stuff. yeah. You don't want to critique capitalism, no way. Uh, so it's at this point in the show where I think it's about time. We introduce good friend of the show. I won't even say new friend. I'll just say good friend of the mm. show. Dave, welcome to Ideas Digest. Thank you so much. Good to be here. It's, it's great to have you here. Now, as we just intro people, you look to me just off the surface as a coffee drinker. Oh, that is true. I'm wearing my trusty Glitch uh, Is that a coffee, coffee brand? Yeah, local Newey um, coffee roasters. Yeah, delicious. Nice. Highly recommend it. As your plug, we're not paid, but we'll take yeah, money if there it is. they would like just it. just came out. All right, you look like a coffee drinker, Glitch. 
Uh, is that a coffee shop? Yes. It's like a roastery. Yeah, roastery. Do you get coffee at the roastery? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell that Conrad doesn't drink coffee? <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to sense it. <laughs> so, so let's uh, suspend our disbelief for yeah. a second here. Matt and I were just getting a coffee mm. at Glitch, the roastery. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, is that single origin, double origin? I don't know. Where's his beans from? Classic coffee conversation. We come across Dave. Oh, hey, mate. Yeah, nice to meet you, Dave. Oh, who are you and what do you do? Great. Okay. So currently I work at UCS, which is in Sydney, U- University of Technology, Sydney. Um, I work in our startups and innovation kind of program there where we help people turn their ideas into tech-enabled businesses, where we help people with businesses to take them further. And I guess my job title is interesting. I'm the program manager inspiration, which is kind of funny. Um, Essentially, we look at it like, you know, entrepreneurs can kind of access support and things from all over the place, but who is really out there trying to inspire people to drop their day job or, or, you know, stop pursuing a linear career path and actually jump into something a little bit more risky or exciting like entrepreneurship. So that's what I do. Nice. Yeah. I, I like that. I'll mm. talk to you after. I might need some funding. <laughs> Don't you have like an entrepreneurial master's or something? <laughs> I do actually. I'll, I'll just apply for a job with him later. But yeah. <laughs> do. But okay, it, it's, it's really nice to meet you. Um, I've visually seen you now and I've heard kind of what you do. And you mentioned you're from Newcastle or Newey as yes, the locals. It's true. Describe Newey for friends of the show in America. Oh, it's like, I am new to Newcastle, sort of. I've been here two years. Okay. Um, so sort of from different places in Australia. Um, Newcastle is a beautiful place. The sun is shining a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. The beaches are beautiful. The people are beautiful. It's pretty laid back. Yep. Pretty yeah. relaxed Australian coast of town. Yes. Now, the articles I was dropping before, I dropped the title of a news article from the Daily Mail. And to refresh our friends of the show, Hillsong Church ex-members expose megachurch's toxic culture. I'm looking at the thing. There's a picture of like some long-haired cool looking guy that definitely plays guitar at Hillsong and then a mugshot of oh, Brian. He's from Newtown or something. He's, <laughs> he's hanging out with you at a coffee shop in Newtown. Oh, yes. Very old. This yeah. guy would be vegan though, looking at that hat. Uh, <laughs> Very woke. Yes. And then there's a mugshot of Brian Houston and then there's this handsome devil. Yeah, wow. With like yeah, designer stubble there. It's you. It's you. You know, the journalist asked us for a photo um, and it was the only one I had. <laughs> It's not bad. It's a pretty really good one. It yeah. It's not bad. You're looking good. I prefer your like more accentuated mustache now. Thank uh, you. Just, I don't know, just a personal note there. So Ideas digest, ideas on fashion. And Take it on board. Yeah. We'll do anything. So this news article, right? Are you, I'm just going flying blind here. Are you the ex-church member exposing the mega church's toxic culture? Is that why your photo's on there? I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, so in lots of different ways, I've been part of Hillsong for a long time and yeah, um, a lot of those stories in that article are mine. Correct. So I guess as a jump in point, and then we'll come back because I want to hear your journey into Hillsong and then ultimately to the, to this point here, what is that article talking about and what, what are you communicating or being a part of in that news story? Yeah, I think people love some scandal and love some clickbait articles. Um, We love to see, you know, the the grand kind of fall from grace stories um, of televangelists and people like that. And and in recent times from Hillsong, I guess the point of that article, especially for me, uh, was to highlight that, you know, the problems aren't just 
in one or two people. Um, it's actually a systemic thing. Mm. You know, the environment that I was a part of for a long time, while there's so many good things about it, and at its best, church can be a really cool place, very inspiring place and a positive place. Um, it is also a place that sort of fosters really toxic culture. And mm-hmm. so plenty of examples in that article um, and many more to come, I think, that, that yeah. highlight that fact. Okay, so now we know roughly who you are, where you're from and what you're in the newspaper for. To be honest though, I've been judging you this whole time. I think Matt has too. He just hides it better than Always. me. Always, yeah. But I, not, I don't hide it well. <laughs> can I confess to you in this safe space, my judgments about you just having met you? Friends of the show listening, they've probably got judgments too, if they're, mm-hmm. depending on which camp they're in. So this is our time of confession where Matt and I will confess some assumptions about you to you. And you, if you really want to play the hard version of this game, you can say yes or no. <laughs> If you want to like add nuance, we do allow it. You know, Rob mm. Bell loved to add nuance. He was just like, oh, yeah, but not in this circumstance. It's <laughs> like, all right, mate, all right. So up to you how you play. How's that sound? Love it. Okay. First one. You're some jaded ex-Christian. True. Mm. Nailed it. Got it in one. What about atheists trying to tear down well-meaning Christians? False. How dare you? <laughs> okay, false. Not, not correct. Okay. All right, you're cashing in. You're some guy that's like on the news now. You're cashing in on the controversy that is Hillsong now. Getting rich off controversy. Definitely didn't get paid for that article. So false. Okay, false. Yeah. Yeah, you're a little bit oversensitive. You're a bit like a snowflake that it's, you know, the typical profile of that Hillsong male person that's just a little bit too sensitive to alpha males. Work as you're a snowflake. True. Yeah, he's reflective. I like it. Uh, you may have gotten this one before. You were never really a Christian, if you know this is the stuff you're talking about now. False. Okay. Really what happened to you, Dave, was that you loved sin and you hated Christian values. Uh, uh, false? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. Over to you now. As you've kind of done this story, reaching out to people, or maybe in your daily life, what are some judgments you get that we might have missed? I tried to pick up a few just based on our topic of where we're headed. Any judgments you might want to add to that that you get that may be true or false? You know, it was many years ago that I left um, Hillsong Church and sort of the ACC more broadly. When I say that, I mean the Australian Christian Churches, which is kind of the movement where Hillsong was a part of um, for you know, most of the time it's been around. Um, a lot of people would sort of hit me up and say, hey, you used to stand there and tell us how to live or tell us how to interpret the Bible and, you know, tell us why God and, and by extension church was so important and now you're not there. Um, and, you know, yeah, definitely had a few Facebook uh, post arguments with people and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I think... People can think what they want and that's okay. And I guess that's why I'm comfortable speaking to you guys about this now. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion and can make up their own mind. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So then your journey, I guess, start where you want to start. But I'd be yeah. curious to know, did you grow up a Christian? How did you get into this Christian world, this Hillsong-esque megachurch world? Kind of start where you want to start, I guess, your story coming into. Yeah. Um, so... 
I'd probably start with my parents. My mum comes from Chile, um, so South America. Dad's Dutch from Holland. They met in Sydney and, you know, uh, a little while later, myself and my sister were born. And, and you know, we grew up in Australia uh, in the 80s where it was very much like I have brown skin and, you know, have a bit of a cultural heritage that wasn't similar to everyone else's. So I always felt a little bit on the outer edge. Um, I was happy, confident, I had a good life, I was a happy kid. But at 15 at high school, you know, I was with a group of friends where, you know, a couple of the guys went along to church and I didn't really think it was anything that notable um, until one sort of school holidays. You know, my parents both worked really hard. We'd always have to go to holiday program. I don't know if you guys have ever been to that. For anyone listening, you've never been to holiday program. It's just when, you, when your parents are kind of, they just need to outsource your upbringing. They kind of pay for you to go to some kind of mm. big, you know, building somewhere where you get looked after. And so yeah. this church was offering a summer camp um, where it was a lot cheaper than, you know, holiday program. And my friends were going, it was just a no-brainer. So I took the fly home to my mom and she sort of read it over and thought, this is, it looks weird, but we'll go with it. So off I go to this camp as a 15-year-old um, and, you know, I became a Christian. So it was a, a little charismatic church in Canberra where I grew up. Um, and yeah, it was, I don't know if you've ever been in, in this situation where, where people kind of lead you to Christ is quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, we were singing a few songs. The songs seemed okay. Um, it was more the fun camp atmosphere and I was having fun, but in this one kind of session or, or message or whatever, um, someone was talking about, you know, the way to eternal life and accepting Jesus. And, and I kind of was like, okay, sounds, sounds fine to me. Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden I was kind of in a room off to the side with, with a Bible and, and they were leading me in a prayer and I kind of didn't realize what was happening. Um, but I went home with the Bible and mum was like, okay, this is new. <laughs> um, and, and my friends told me, well, now you're a Christian, you have to go to church on Sundays. And so kind of, Give me to my parents to drop me off on Sundays at church, and that's how it started. Um, and your I, parents were cool with this, and not previously religious. Um, not really. Like mm -hmm. we used to go to church a little bit, and here and there in in South America, a lot of people are Catholic, and so <laughs> I don't, they call it the Catholic guilt, right? Like you sort of go along to church at Easter and Christmas, and here and there, and yeah. So we used to do that a bit. Um, and so at first it seemed innocuous, and I remember a little bit later, my parents kind of mentioned to me that they were a little worried. They, they were like, church seems a little bit cultish. It'd be good if we could sort of meet some of these people and understand what goes on there. Um, and so they did that and they never really liked it a lot. And I remember dad sat me down once and said, you got to know God is not real. I'm telling you. Oh, it, no I've way. seen too much. It's just not a thing. But if this is what you want to do, go with it. If, you know, if the girls are pretty, whatever, like just go along. <laughs> he knows boys. Really yeah. um, he's probably thinking of the alternatives. Yeah, then, exactly. Mm, drugs or Jesus. living in Canberra, yeah, it was yeah fireworks, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, we <laughs> yeah church was good. My mum also was a little bit reserved about it, but just let me go because they were cool parents. Like they just let us discover our own kind of thing mm. that we wanted to do. And yeah, so fast forward, um, I was a kid, kind of on the outer, feeling a little bit like I didn't belong. Found this group of people that I really felt like I belonged to. I think a couple of weeks into going along to church, we all got on a bus and went to something called Countdown 2000, which um, was somewhere in Parramatta, I think. And Pat Masidi, who was this guy at the time, a, a bit of a youth pastor or something from Hillsong, got up and, and spoke and shared this message about, 
you know, being broken and how Jesus came back to kind of give us joy and hope and restoration and all of that. And so I, you know, he said, if, if that's you, if your heart's beating fast, if, if you know, you know, God's speaking to you right now and, you know, as, as much attention I was able to give, I sort of thought, yeah, well, that probably is me. So I put up my hand again, got another Bible. I was collecting Bibles left, right, center. Yeah. Um, you know, again, led in a prayer, all this stuff. And, and I thought, this is, well, you know, this is it now. Like I'm, I'm in. And after that, I kind of realized you're not supposed to sort of date girls and have sex and smoke weed and all of that stuff. I was like, I didn't even realize. Um, so I felt a little bit shortchanged, but I went with it. Yeah. That's so the terms and conditions. The terms the conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The T's and C's. Um, didn't read them. Yeah. So that's how it all started. Mm-hmm. Wow. Then that went well for you, it sounds. Sounds yeah. like you stayed in it for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then what... What ended up taking you into the point where you end up being part of a mega church and a system? Yeah, I think there are these points of kind of what church, churches can be really good at is, I guess, manufacturing. That's a bad word. Um, <laughs> Call it as it is. Cultivating environments where cultivating. you, you have word. spiritual kind of encounters, right? Like we used to have this thing called Encounterfest. Like you, yeah, you have, you have these environments where the music's happening, the lights are kind of dim and there's this intensity and you're kind of like, um, you know, someone's up there screaming at you, preaching some sort of message and, and maybe someone points at you in the crowd and says, hey, like I can tell that you're called by God to do something incredible with your life. And of course, as a, as a teenager, all you want to hear is that you're special mm. and that you stand out and that you matter. And so, of course, me as a little, you know, brown boy and kind of trying to figure things out, like responded to that stuff really well. And so, from a very young age, I was like, I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to be a pastor and kind of change the world. And so, yeah, um, off I went to Bible college, which was called Hillsong International Leader, Leadership College at the time at Hills in Sydney. So you got a prophetic word about being a leader back. Is this what helped you make the decision or yeah, is it- like a whole bunch. You got I a whole, say. okay. Yeah. So, so you, you've, oh man, the speakers got up and they selected you out of the crowd. That's pretty good. You know, that's a bit of royalty in Pentecostalism. Okay. So when you go to a, a mega church-ish church, there's a hundred services a weekend probably. Oh, there's a lot of chances for this to happen. Right, and the connect groups during the week and all this other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, but I I knew I was special. So, you know, (laughs) off I go, paid my three and a half Gs to, you know, Hillsong to do college and whatever it is. Um, And yeah, so kind of when you're in that slipstream, it's you're definitely going kind of in a direction and it's very difficult to start either asking questions or stepping back and having a perspective, kind of a bird's eye view over your life, right? Like you're... I mean, I don't know if you've ever been super busy or consumed by doing a lot of things at once, but I, from a very young age, was volunteering, helping, doing all sorts of things where I didn't take time out to have a think about what I was doing or look from the outside in, you know? And so, yeah, you're just, you're just in there. So it's not like I blame all of these people for, you know, having these experiences. It's just like I didn't think to step back and really question things. And as you're going through, are these largely positive experience? Like I'm, it's sounding like summer camp was a bit of fun, like positive experience there moving into yeah. these encounters where you're having a positive experience. Sounds like you yeah. may have had like a good group of friends, feel included, yep. feel extra special. And then it kind of pulls you through into the system now. Now it's going like 
people, a lot of people just go to church and then keep doing their day jobs, but something pulled you into going, okay, I'm going to, mm. what, what was that decision that you can remember that was like, you could, you could serve God anywhere, I suppose. What yeah. made you go, like, I need to become a minister or get into ministry somehow. What was that thought process that pulled you into yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, when I was very young, I think I think my first job was at Macca's, right? Like most kids or whatever. And then I started selling jeans at Jeans West and then kind of got everywhere I went, I seemed to work in jeans shops. Um, mm. And so I just kept remembering there were these different times where all these friends that I would make that weren't from church and they didn't have any understanding. They didn't know what Hillsong was. They didn't know what, you know, they had no idea, right? And I got these comments that were similar so often like, Dave, you're a bit of a know-it-all and you're a bit condescending. Whoa. And, and I kind of brushed it off at the time. And now I look back at all of these kind of comments and I wish I could call up all these people and apologize for it because I really did think I knew better. That was it. I really thought I had something like the secret that mm. people didn't have. And I thought that I knew well, we, not only we go into heaven and we're part of God's plan or whatever, but also we're doing we're doing the work here on earth. That's that's the right thing to be doing. You know, these other churches aren't really doing it the same as us or, mm. you know, we, I think at the time, the music was such a big part of it, right? Mm. Like um, Hillsong Conference in every single year, we'd there'd be a new album out and it'd be in the ARIA charts and I'd just be like, oh, how could this be wrong? It's like so many people want this, not sort of stopping and thinking that, you know, that, the whole point of conference was to sell records. But anyway, like you just sort of see, you see what you want to see. Right. And it all backed up my worldview, which was that I was right. And I had, you know, my finger on the pulse and all these other people didn't. And you had this, sounds like you had this sense of purpose. Yeah. Where you're moving through the world and you know why you're here. Not yep. only why you're here, you have something other people need. Correct. That's almost what, which that's a, that's probably a pretty good feeling to have to like, yeah. know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I don't think I'm a full-on narcissist or a pathological kind of person, but I do sort of think that, you know, that that ego where you're like, you know, I possess this secret and, and people need to listen to what I have to say kind of really formed my personality in a lot of ways, which I'm really trying to get rid of. Um, even in the way that I, you know, work and interact with people now and, and lead teams and and people like that, I, I sort of have to stop myself so often because, you know, we were taught back then, you know, as you're a, when you're a volunteer or when you're kind of coming up through youth ministry or church, like it's such an honor to wash your pastor's car or it's such an honor to mow their lawn or to do things for them or Is it's it? such a, yeah, or, you know, you're serving the house by... Conrad's got no idea. It's, it's just like, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, for 20 bucks. That didn't happen in Adventism. <laughs> no, why, mate? But this is it, right? Like when we sat down with this journalist when we were talking about this article and, and it was not just me, it was a few people, right? Um, it, it, we were talking about these experiences and she was just listening to us in disbelief going, mm. how is that normal? And I'm like, of course it's normal. It's what happens in church. Okay. I, I really, I'm an outsider here. I thought I was a, like an inside guy. I've been to church. I've grown up in church. I know what's going on. I do not. So for myself and friends of the show listening, can you paint... Like you're now at Hillsong College and moving into the Hillsong machine or yep. sub variants of that Hillsong mega church machine. What's it like? Let's go with entry level. You know, you're wide eyed. We're looking around, man, that guy's got the coolest skinny jeans. I went to a few Hillsong conferences. I was <laughs> like, man, that guy's way cooler than me. Anyway, um, 
you're looking around, you're wide-eyed, and you start to get pulled in. What is Paint this world for us. You're mentioning wanting to wash pastors' cars or like volunteering for certain things. Give me a bit of an overall view of, of Dave, early days Hillsong. Yeah, good question. Um, I think there are a few things going on there, but, you know, stories, stories from the old days. I've heard someone say that, Aussies particularly, the way to get us as a people yeah. is either with humor or nostalgia or a mixture of both and then you, you're really on it. Um, and, and for me, it was like it, you would hear these incredible people like Chris Kane, Brian Houston, Phil Dooley, whoever speaking um, at a Sunday or at a youth sort of event or something about the early days when they had to wash windows and they had to spend all week doing all of these jobs to, to have money to survive. And we used to run church in a gymnasium, set up, pack down, do it all because that's what pioneering looks like. And so fast forward to now when churches are, you know, well-resourced, they're big, they're happening. Like what does pioneering look like for you? Um, what are you going to do to push the envelope and embrace the stretch and do something no one's ever done before and take your life in a direction that, you know, no one else is going to go in and and so for me it was just like how can i be really 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 great at like i don't know pioneering right and so for me it looked like having a big connect group full of high school kids because i was in wildlife our youth ministry at the time like had a had a connect group looked after a whole bunch of kids driving them to it's like a bible study yeah. From, yeah yeah exactly okay. sorry good point so i'm just translating <laughs> yeah. this cool lingo well we get <laughs> we call them rdgs which stands for radical discipleship group a little bit of cringe there. Yeah, the acronym was way better than the... Yeah. Radical. Um, radical. I think way back we were calling them cell groups and I think we had mm. to scrap that um, for, for different Prison reasons. reasons. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so RDGs, it, it just looked like, hey, we, we had Hillsong Conference coming up, which was a big week and, and you know, 20,000 people or whatever were going to come to Sydney and, and hear and learn from, from church. So my role was to be, you know, kind of doing something admin or, or you know, setting up bollards or looking after kids or whatever it was all week to try and kind of put this incredible elaborate thing together and it was like we really really believe that every single one of us and every single little part that we played was so important um to the point where we yeah i guess i at that point was displaying some pretty unhealthy traits in that i would sleep you know a few hours a night if that and i would work all of these jobs just to keep myself afloat and keep being involved and helping in all these different areas so you were volunteer work kind yeah. of help. that's what you're talking well, about well at college you kind of have to do that stuff as well it's part of your learning and you're required to do it yeah um but i remember you know my mum pulling me up and saying dave like when do you have fun like when do you go do fun things and all your friends seem so involved in this as well and and i was like but you don't understand like we are really going somewhere we're doing something no one's ever done before and where are you going and what is that well, I, I guess I kind of believed, and this is another critical foundational belief that I had to get rid of pretty quickly. I really believe that our leaders or like my youth pastor or our, you know, Brian and Bobby or whoever it was really wanted the best for us and really had the best intentions for all of us. And, and they did really hear from God. So if you just went with it and, and just followed their lead, everything would be okay because the best is yet to come, right? Like we'd always hear that and little catchphrases. So you're being mentored by these pretty prolific celebrity type pastors who seem to have this really close connection to God and you're part of this machine that's building more disciples, more people for Jesus, winning souls. Is that the ultimate end game? You're like, I want more people to be saved or I want more people to, to be what? Yeah, I think so. I think it was that. I think it was getting to a point where, I mean, anything 
inspiring that happened would be to do with growth or increase in some way like whether it was we're, we're starting a new service in bondi or we're starting i don't know a, a church overseas in argentina or whatever it was was just such an incredible thought and wow that's so amazing and and you know and miraculous and kind of you know all the way down to the people i think one thing that i felt really the whole time i was a part of the acc and, and hillsong was that i really did love people cared about people a lot i i'm a bit of an empath and so i i would love to just sit there and hear someone's story for for hours right and rather than keep talking than you know go to bed or do what i had to do to look after myself it would be about people um so i really enjoyed that got energy from it which i know now is just being an extrovert right like it's all good i, th- I think it's like one of those if you, have you been to a hillsong conference mm, i have like they're phenomenal. I guess a lot of people yeah. maybe that will yeah. be listening to this go, oh, okay, like it's a weird church conference and maybe yeah. their version is like some guitars at the front and some awkward, you know, like the old uncle gets up and does these announcements and stuff. It's, this thing is like a machine. And um, like I remember- Coldplay concert. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess when you're part of that, it's just, um, it's all encompassing. But it's interesting. Yeah. I was talking to a, an ex-pastor who was a pastor there, um, maybe around your time he was saying that those, what you just said before about just that incredible um, feeling of what's next was mm. sort of like, which I think you'll find this interesting, Conrad, like the, uh, that really huge expansion phase in Apple when Steve Jobs would get up and it would be like, what's next? It's sort yep. of like this un- We're iPad, going somewhere. whoa, like, and redesigning the Mac. It was like, he, he explained it in, in that sense of that's how it felt. Um, I guess some of the consumer culture would be like, yeah, I love Apple or whatever, but like Correct. that's how he explained it. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we were doing some really good stuff and a lot of the work we were doing was positive. A lot of the inspirational stuff was good for people. And I also think that, you know, um, yeah, a lot of us were helping people. So, you know, there was good stuff in there. As, um, I'm, as I'm listening, I'm like, all right, this sounds good. It shakes yeah. youth well, keeps them out of the weed and sex, I guess, if that's what you're trying to avoid as a as a pesky youth i think he's read the terms and conditions by that point <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 he's a little disappointed it. but he's like <laughs> is what it is <laughs> we're here now celebrity so, also good so i'll take that <laughs> so i guess then what's the problem at at this point it's sounding yep sounds like a pretty cool like club where you're, you're doing something you're helping people you're, you're meeting people you're connected you're maybe getting mentored by somebody what's the, where does this turn in a direction where you end up now you know one of the first memories of being in church as a 15 year old um was this one sunday that we rocked up to church and there was security guards kind of all over the place and i think my dad was dropping me off and and i was like oh what's that about and and he goes oh i don't know and and so i like walked in and it was because they had this guest speaker speaking that weekend his name was Cy rogers and um he got up and and spoke about how um homosexuality is an affliction and and how you know, uh, true believers um, need to to be healed and rescued from that life, um, mm. and that it's that's not okay. And and I sat there, kind of listening to it, um, and for a lot of reasons, being like, "Ooh, this is super weird," um, because I had great parents. My parents were very grounded, very logical people. They taught us a really. They were very accepting. They were awesome, and so you know, I'd already had this talk with my parents. So to hear someone get up and say that, um, and and I kind of talked to my mum about it later, and she was like, "You know, that's wrong, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I know," but mm. 
you you know, I'd have these moments often where I'd listen to something and go, that is, that is not right. And I'd be talking to myself in my head. I know, I know. But, but look around. What we're doing is so positive. Like, mm. you know, mm. there are these little things, these little things that I wish weren't happening or these little things that are kind of wrong. And, and it's insidious, right? Like some people that I speak to, um, that word insidious is kind of so perfect because, it, you know, these little things that kind of infiltrate and, and become kind of normal and you live with them, these little adjustments and concessions that you just live with because the broader picture seems so positive and so right until suddenly, you know, fast forward, 10, 15, 20 years and you realize like, wow, um, there's a lot of those little things and it's kind of all falling apart at this point. Yeah. So, so unpack those those for me because at the top of the show, you're talking about it's not just people. It's not just Brian Houston who's in some trouble for misbehavior of whatever kind that mm. whatever comes out. You were talking about a system, like a structure. Yes. Explain that to me. You know, when I became a youth pastor, which was I think in 20... 2007 maybe or something like that i i really thought that you know because i was being paid by church to be this wasn't at hillsong anymore i'd kind of gone back to this acc church and um you know i was i had grand visions to basically do what we were doing at hills and do it in canberra and and kind of get all these people and and it was happening like we'd have hundreds of people rocking up for for youth group events and services and things like that and got involved with the live and I, I sort of thought like if people really have it, if people really understand the vision and they've got this kind of thing from God, they, they're going to put up with a lot and they're going to push really hard to get this done. And so I treated people badly. Like I would say that I was the only one getting paid, but I would definitely, you know, have 10, 20 other people helping me stack chairs, close up, lock up, do things, take kids home you know, all, all that kind of stuff and expect people to be putting in all these hours on top of uni, on top of the rest of their lives and kind of think, well, if it's hard, suck it up because we're going to embrace the stretch and we're going to see this happen. And, and so I think like that, watching that behavior sort of happen in myself and I kind of, you know, when you, those stories you hear about people looking down at themselves asleep or whatever, I was kind of in this state the whole time thinking, how have I become this person? I am not a nice person. I'm not treating people well. Um, but you know, if you really look at the big picture, it's positive. We're going somewhere. We're doing something that's never been done before. And, and of course we want to be part of that. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just rationalize it. I think. Mm. I guess coming from that culture of numbers and like yeah. you would have been using oh. comparisons within your youth ministry. Cause I had the same thing when you have success mm. in your youth ministry and you're seeing all these things happening. Um, you do see burnout, you do see things that are going on in your team and you're like, oh, uh, but this is happening. Yeah. And I guess it's that culture you're saying from Hillsong, it's just like numbers, decisions, you would say, yep. you know, hands up at the end, attendance and yep. um, how much you're feeling events. Yeah, so towards the end of my time there, um, I was looking after Sunday services and so I'd have to report up, um, you know, and we report very simple stats and it was how many hands were raised, how many people made a decision because that, you know, is a in key KPI, key performance indicator of whether we're doing the right thing or not. Um, it was how much money was in the offering um, and how's, how many people were there on a Sunday and how many volunteers were there. Did you Sunday. ever see the stats sometimes and you saw the offering was down and you're like, who did the offering that week? <laughs> they need some training. Um, was that just me being an arsehole? No, I, I mean, I would, I would imagine that was a lot of people's experience. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get that one. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, he did. Okay. 
so what I'm hearing then is this, the mega church is a business and it seems to be needs more money, more people to buy into the vision and whatever it takes to build that vision, we'll do it and we'll do it using eager young people. It, it, when, when I put it like that, it sounds almost like a sinister plot, like deliberately devised, like if, as if Brian himself is up there being like, oh, labor's quite expensive now, isn't it? Like every mm. big, big fat cat capitalist, and yeah. every Jeff Bezos, oh, they want minimum wage, mm. hey? Oh, let's, how do we stop them from uni- let's unionizing? Let's these unions. <laughs> yes, that's right. Like it, uh, it sounds like mm. a similar, like it sounds almost as sinister. Would you mm. say it, it's like an intentional thing? That has happened or is it like some other mechanism that that breeds this kind of brutal get to the get the result at whatever cost mentality yeah i hear what you're saying i think I've, i'm gonna butcher a brene brown quote because we all have those um one of her books i'm gonna say the one about management or whatever um where she sort of says there's statistically there's two ways you can get really great buy-in from your employees um, one of them is to ask them for your, to help you. So, hey, Conrad, help me with this thing. The other way is to go to their funeral or go to the, sorry, a, a family member's funeral. Um, yeah, so that would really work. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. work well. That wouldn't work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, again, definitely butchered that quote. But, um, you know, I don't think anyone woke up and thought I'm going to create this, you know, Tony Robbins kind of um, pyramid scheme situation where people – uh, you know, forced to do all of these things for the benefit of one or two people at the top. I don't believe that's where mega churches started. I don't think that's where Hills, Hills Christian Life Center or Hillsong Church or any of the other ACC churches started. I don't. What I think has happened is that churches become corporatized in the sense that it's become big. You know, we see that the corporate world, you know, we are living in capitalist utopia, like, you know, businesses feed on certain things like money, resource, things like that to, to keep going. And so church has adopted a lot of those principles and, and that's where we are. Like we find ourselves in this place where the experiment isn't working. Um, but there are those, you know, especially in mega churches now where, where the stakes are high, where the experiment isn't an experiment to them, it's their livelihood. And for me, you know, when I got paid to be on staff at a church, it was my livelihood to believe in God to get up and tell you that I knew how to live, that I was hearing from God and that my message this weekend or whatever was was specifically for you. Those were all things that were important for me to remain employed. So do you see the disconnect? Mm. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, that man, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down there. But before we get there, I think it's important that because it didn't just end at Canberra for you. You end Correct. up working yes. um, at Youth Alive. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. Um, so was a youth pastor for maybe three years, I think. Um, and, you know, uh, I guess I felt like I needed to change. My boss felt like I needed to change, which in hindsight sort of maybe was about Dave's really intense and maybe we need to send him back to the mothership to get straightened out a little more before we, you know, burn out any more volunteers. Anyway, um, so off I go to Youth Alive. It was, so Youth Alive is what we call a parachurch organization, which is not, it's not a church. It's kind of a, 
an organization uh, specifically a nonprofit that works with churches to benefit churches and benefit their metrics so what we would do was engage um youth and, and young people all over the state in new south wales and kind of run events and do different things that would help youth groups and churches grow that way would resource and equip young people and, and youth leaders and so yeah it was it was a lot of fun in a lot of ways and the people there were fantastic and, and we had a lot of you know, fun memories like running Big XO Day. And so, you know, mm. I went from the 15-year-old going to Countdown 2000 all the way through to being exactly. the guy behind these huge events, right? And that's and what I sort of wanted you to see that his progression is sort of like a pay, like in, in some ways like a, a promotion into Youth Alive. Youth Alive is a big thing. It's sort of like the mm. equivalent in Adventism would be kind of the youth director. Because like Big XO Day, motocross. Yeah, it, they're big events. Like how many events would... People, you know, young people. I think our biggest one we had sort of fifteen thousand people down at Horden Pavilion. It's amazing. Um, fifteen thousand young people yeah. coming to here, and you have a massive altar. No call. drinking, no drugs. It's amazing. Just you know? bands. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and I think at the time that the zeitgeist was like a big day out and these huge mm. touring uh, music festivals, and I think you know it was like look at this alternative that we're offering here, where where young people don't need to get smashed, and you know have sex with each other all over the place. Not that that probably happens at Big Day Out, but anyway. Um, so, you know, it, it was kind of, we all believed that we were doing something so good and so right for people. And wow, it Youth Live burnt through a lot of volunteers. Just on that though, but so who was, who was funding Youth Alive? Yeah, uh, so technically Youth Alive sits, I believe under the ACC, the Australian Christian Churches, formerly the AOG, Assemblies of God in Australia. Um, we were not particularly great at making money, I would say. And so it was underwritten the entire time I was there by Hillsong Church. We were based at Hills Campus. Uh, staff were from Hills. We, yeah, there you go. So sounds like a good vision, right? Yeah. Let's stop kids doing drugs. Let's yeah. let's stop, like this is an alternative, right? That's That's pretty good. But the cost, it sounds like, it, it runs on the bodies and bones and blood of volunteers. Oh, yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. And I also sort of think an event or this experience that we're trying to create. Remember we were talking about, you know, churches are so great sometimes at creating these environments where we, we feel like we have these peak moments spiritually or whatever. And, and it was that. We were creating these incredible kind of enjoyable and fantastic moments where, you know, kids would you know, become Christians, quote unquote. And we'd say, you know, we, wow, we had 500 or a thousand young people say that they'd become Christians at this event. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, we know that um, a lifestyle is uh, achieved by, you know, repeating habits and, and certain things like patterns in life. And, and you, ca you can't sort of just become something in one moment. Um, and I think the, the tricky thing there is we would be, quote unquote, producing decisions or new christians and and i don't really think they stuck um is the thing there and so i i would question whether a lot of what we did really had the significance that we thought it did mm. if that makes sense because i remember this is around the time we met at a state yep. conference so yep. the acc comes together for a state conference and they're putting up statistics on the on the thing i remember taking photo of it on my iphone trying to work out how this mass works because <laughs> they're like we've done all these decisions this mm. year yeah and then how many baptisms? It was like a, a drastic drop in the amount of people that actually would put their hand up and then actually follow through Correct. to a full-blown commitment. But I, but I feel 
that due to the maybe the dopamine from the events where you have thousands of young people and then yeah. you report back to your senior and say this amount of people were saved that's yeah. that's the high almost that's almost the thing that we were we were chasing as leaders to try and and then whatever yeah. happened after that you just sort of like it just fitted your narrative at the time you're like well we've rescued these people from hell and they're yeah. safe now uh, and correct you're absolutely right and i don't think there's that much wrong with that on the surface of it yeah. i think if you go have a good time at, at a youth alive event and, and get saved or whatever it is like okay like that's nice mm. and if you end up going to church for a long time there are plenty of people out there that i'm sure would say dave how could you say that like you know youth alive or whatever event it was was such a pivotal time for me and and what you did contributed to my life in all these ways. Now I'm married to the person that I met in church and we have a family and we're all serving God and all that stuff. And, and that's cool. Like, I think that's an awesome, mm. that is an awesome result on the surface. Um, I think what's interesting about the models like that, and I think this is the way church works and you hit on it, right? Like the narrative, we take the data and, it, and we make it fit the narrative. We take, you know, the objectives and the outcomes that we want to see and we make that fit the ask or the narrative that we so a good example of that might be you know we're running a big event or a big youth rally or something in a council place property whatever so when we're talking to stakeholders like council government schools or whatever we would say hey guys we're running this really positive stuff it's you know drug and alcohol free kids are having fun it's really safe um what we're not saying is that we are asking them all to become Christians, get saved, and without explaining fully what is going on, they're going to join um, churches that believe that you know homosexuality is a sin and that you go to hell for that. They believe that if you don't um, serve God and become a Christian, you also will go to hell, um, and they also believe in tithing 10% of your income. So, you know, of course, we don't lead with any of that. Um, <laughs> all the other terms and conditions about being Islamic or Buddhist, it's... Totally. Like, I remember the... <laughs> The, uh, so many times at youth on a Friday night we'd hear someone and I think I've done it myself like say you know God, Jesus came to you know to really bring a divide between like you and your, your parents or whatever if you, if you don't turn away from everything you care about and you love you can't be a real follower of Jesus you need to leave everything behind you need to leave everything at the cross or whatever it is and, and as a kid you'd walk away thinking well that's it. I'm just going to divorce my parents. I'm going to throw away, you know, all of, all my friends. I remember as a 15 year old, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and she couldn't understand what was going on. And, and I'm like, sorry, but God told me that we have to break up and so ridiculous, right? But you know, that kind of stuff ruins kids and ruins development of kids and families. And, you know, we probably should call that out. I would say. So do you think net, net gain, positive or negative? So everything you're describing, there are some positives to it, but then yeah. now you're outlining some of the negatives. Do you think pulling kids into an alternative lifestyle where they're avoiding you know, drugs and sex and whatever we've deemed as super harmful for children or yeah. teenagers, churches might say they do that really well. Yeah. Do you think that the overall harm is greater than what they are saying they offer firstly the irony of being devil's advocate for a church but also like if you why can't we have all of those things and transparency at the same time why can't um someone getting up at church be like hey we this is what we believe um and this is what we do not believe if you feel you are congruent with those values and beliefs then 
we welcome you to become a Christian, put up your hand, write down your details on a card or whatever it is, join the app. I don't know how they do it these days, but you know, like why are we so sneaky about getting people to just, you know, join into something that they don't fully understand yet and, and they haven't talked to their parents about yet, you know, that they haven't kind of thought through for themselves when, you know, we know that kids don't have fully formed brains and, and decision-making skills at that point, especially when they're teenagers. Mm. So, you know, like why can't we just be a bit more transparent? And so that, you know, works its way out all the way to the top where, you know, we're seeing churches like I would say if you, you know, for me as a 15-year-old walking into a youth group camp, I didn't realize that there were rules. I didn't realize that there were values that we had to that we had to live by. I'd never read the Bible. Like I'd read some Tolkien and stuff, but I'd never read the Bible and – and so I think it's the same for adults walking into a place like Hillsong or, or any other mega church where it's welcoming, it's warm, it's positive. There are all these great things going on. But uh, it, like what is the actual catch here? Mm. Like why can't we just be you know, avert about that? Well, I, I guess it's like the used car salesman, right? He's incentivized to not point out the rust. Or he or she, sorry, is incentivized. They. they. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> they are incentivized not to point out the rust they yeah. are incentivized not to um reveal the i guess you could say stain above the driver's seat which they may not notice yeah and that's very much like being a leader or a preacher i think in these movements is that the style of messaging when you've got a kpr that's going towards a decision at the mm. end of a 20 minute monologue the data points that you're going you're wanting the outcomes you're wanting is hands going up so of course you're going to miss, you're going to skip over that part where God literally swallows up people for committing sin. And then you're really going to miss that point where genocide happens and you're going to miss that point about being homosexual because at the end of the day, you just want to spread God's love. So it's both well-meaning and also deceitful, I think, at the same time, in the sense that put Dave in his 15-year-old self, he comes in and puts his hand up, not fully understanding but it's also the KPI outcome of that night from that parcel. It's, it's the dopamine release that happens when he reports up from that youth event and says, we've had 203 decisions and that 203rd was Dave, but you know, you're just part of that statistic that night. Yes. That, I guess that's how these things work, which is then the criticism you would say of the evangelical movement of these movements. They hate them because yeah. they're like, they're never biblical. They're never exegetical. They never preach the entire word. They're just motivational messages. Well, that's because they've got pretty clear KPIs. It's just like, you come here for hope, you come here to receive God's love, and that's the purpose of church. It's an attractional thing where people come and get saved. You've got this, <clears throat> this culmination of like capital-driven, profit-driven, metric-driven religion that says, where did everyone hop off the train this time? Oh, it was when we mentioned hell. Exactly. All right, don't mention hell. All right, don't mention tithe. Don't mention oh, giving up a bit of sex on the side. We'll bring that one in for the youth program. <laughs> but then I, I suppose the question is, why did you leave? And how much of it did you throw out? Because people will be listening and just thinking, like there's one way of looking at it going, yeah, I mean, of course you're not going to lead with this sort of stuff about you can't do drugs, you can't have sex, you can't, you have to go to the church every Sunday and all these other conditions. But that, they're like vegetables. They're good for you. If we can get everyone in society to have better morality, better habits or not taking drugs and because obviously drugs do have pretty harmful effects for addiction all that kind of stuff. So they, would be, they could be arguing, yeah, yeah, they're not popular initially, but if we can just slip the broccoli in a sandwich without you knowing it, you're going to be healthier for it and, and you're going to thank us for it. But what I'm getting 
is you're not thanking them for it. Why not? Okay. It's uh, a good point in a lot of ways. I think that there is a lot of gray area in life that we sort of just need to discover together and, and talk about and, and wrestle with a little bit. Um, I think that it is a very black and white and absolute culture coming out of places like mega churches and the ones that I've been to anyway. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, it, for people for people to stay, remain involved and connected, they are required to adhere to these black and white values. Um, and one of those values that we haven't really touched on that much maybe is, is the financial part of it, giving, you know, um, we talk about the Bible and all these positives in the Bible and whatever. And, and then at the same time, like Matt was saying, there's so many twists and kind of fitting things into the narrative, like the, the Malachi scripture about, you know, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, um, you know, and many times in the offering message, it blows my mind sometimes to just think, you know, we'd had 10 minute offering messages at like every service ever. And it's like, yeah, do we really need to honestly keep going over and over and over and over that? But the truth is, you know, it was almost like hypnosis or like some sort of brainwashing thing where it's like, of course, we'd all walk out and go, I'm not going to rob God. You know, I'm going to I'm going to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, no matter how you know much I earn or don't. And so to your question about why did I stop going or why did I leave? You know, you can fill a bucket up to the to the amount that you can fill it up before it starts spilling over. That is physics. It's like real life. And so for me, I was earning such little money working on staff, working an extra job on the weekends just to keep myself afloat because Sydney was and is expensive. Um, I was sleeping maybe two, three, four hours max a night and always worried and always stressing out. I felt like I was carrying the weight of the world. I felt like I was so, so lucky in this church of many thousands of people to be one of the people that had a job um, and and that responsibility kind of weighed on me. And so, yeah, like I was kind of got to the point where I didn't realize, but I needed support. I needed professional support. I needed an actual psychologist to help me understand how to set boundaries, take time for myself, look after myself. I didn't have those skills. And so, you know, when you go to church and, and people are like, can, you know, what do you want to ask God for or what can we pray for you for? And I'd be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired or I'm stressed or whatever. I, you know, you just assume, well, God's going to give you strength and God's going to, you know, supply all these things. Well, he wasn't. And I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't coping. And it got to the point where I went to the doctor because I was sick and they put a piece of paper in front of me with like this little survey. And I was like, weird, but okay. And I was answering these checkbox questions like, how much do you sleep? How much do you feel happy in a normal day? How much do you feel sad? And I'm like, weird questions. I don't really get it. And at the end, she's looking at it and going, you know, you are, you are severely anxious and depressed. And I was like, interesting. Did not realize that was coming at all. Um, Excuse me, I'm not prosperous and blessed? Correct. <laughs> That's exactly, I mean, we laugh about it now, but I really was confused by this proposition. I was like, what do you mean? Like I'm, I'm living in the miracle. I'm like, I'm right where I'm meant to be and I'm changing the world and all this stuff. And, and she was like, you need to, you know, take some time off. You need to, here are some, here's a prescription for some tablets, which were antidepressants. And so I started taking this medication, which, you know, it's, it's always a bit of roulette with, um, with that stuff. And the medication wasn't so great for me and it kind of pushed me further um, to the point where I had a real, um, yeah, like a real episode where I, I found myself, 
um, thinking about ways to end my life. I had a plan. I had all of the ways that, you know, it was all clear as day. And I went out to do what I was going to do and ended up, um, yeah, kind of waking up in uh, the Prince of Wales Hospital psych unit. And it was just like, I'm still confused about how I got here, but but here we are. And wow. And it all started to kind of come crashing down around me and I kind of saw stuff for what it was. Yeah, so tell us about that because I'm really interested what that initial text message was, That what was sent out to your leaders because at this point, leaders need to know this stuff. Oh, yeah. So I would probably say at this point, um, my, yeah, I would say, so I tried, I think, up to seven different types of medication to kind of fix this stuff. I was diagnosed with bipolar and I don't know if that was right or not, but yeah, I spent a lot of years on a lot of cooked stuff and a lot of memories have been burnt out of my brain and I can't really remember. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so like, for example, I can't really remember what happened in there or how long I was in there or who mm-hmm. even came to visit. I don't really know. It's um, even like um, in post-traumatic stress, that's yeah. a normal thing people can't remember and it's like a yeah. protection mechanism. Yeah. So, so that's, that's really, that's heavy, man. But like, I guess you mentioned though before, um, and thank you for articulating that as well because it's not easy to articulate mental health battles that can come and particularly in that culture where you're supposed to be the person that's on, where you're the one that's expected to get up and be full of faith, to, be, to, to bring the energy from the front and all of a sudden there's something crumbling inside. It's a devastating spot to be. So thank you for being so honest and something that obviously I've shared about before as well. It's really, it's, uh, it hits home. But what did you first, was it, did anyone care that you're in a psych ward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know that I know that my uh, my partner, the person I'm married to now, um, she definitely came to visit me because um, she remembers the things that happened in there and relays the stories back to me. I'm like, oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I remembered. Um, but yeah, there were definitely people um, that cared and people that were there, and you know, pastors that came and looked after me for sure. Um, but I think the thing upon reflection that might have been missing and I don't want to drag anyone through the mud that was a tricky situation it was 2013 I think was the year and back then the stigma around mental health particularly for men um was huge right like you know admitting weakness firstly but also like that whole world was so mysterious still and so I think people really wanted to protect me and weren't sure how to deal with the situation so immediately I think I was kind of all the responsibility I had was given to other people or whatever, which was a great thing. And and I think my job, I was able to go back to my job and, and do things. But, you know, I knew at that point, I was like, i got to wrap things up here because I don't believe I can make a difference or add anything here anymore. Um, and so fairly quickly, I found myself with very few people to be brutally honest with. Um, luckily for me, Jade, my wife, um, was one of those people and you know all these years later we're still together which is great um i don't recommend that as a way of you know trying to yeah find your lobster but anyway um <laughs> for all the friends fans anyway yeah so i don't know i i guess i kind of forgotten the question now but yeah i would say people definitely cared they just didn't know how to care and i think the stigma um within that environment was so much that it was just, let's not talk about it. Let's just not go mm. there. Because that's yeah. what I want to dig into. It's not, right. you didn't have this thing of like, hey guys, um, you're posting on Facebook. You know, that was all the rage in 2013. It was peaking Zuckerberg. Mm. And you weren't, you weren't like, it wasn't part of the culture for you to get on Facebook and say, guys, I'm in a really bad spot. No. I need some food. I'm in, I'm right now in Prince of Wales Mental Hospital. Yep. 
and I'm on some bad medications, done some things to my brain. Mm. Why? Why was that? Why was that? Why was that? You know, I didn't even tell my parents um, because I was so ashamed of not achieving what I thought I was setting out to achieve. And, and you know, I, I just very much took, in a way, took responsibility in myself to just figure it out, which kind of made things worse. And it was years before I was able to iron out some of that stuff and, and get myself on the right medication, get myself in the right kind of therapy and, and figure out what went wrong. But one of the cool things that happened actually um, when I sort of made a decision to leave staff at Youth Alive, um, a friend of a friend called and just said, hey, I've got this idea for a new organization. We're going to share stories from people who've had experiences with mental health issues and we're going to help people recover by decreasing the stigma. And I'm like, mate, I'm the perfect guy for you. So I started working with these people and we started learning how to share stories and and help people tell their stories and and that all was incredible and it really helped me by hearing all of these stories from other people um and and by kind of seeing what it would do to audiences of school and university students um it really helped me kind of rebuild grab a few of the things that i'd learned along the way um some transferable skills is i guess what they call it um and yeah build something really uh significant so that was a really good pivot i guess um and and church was it was there and I'd kind of go a little bit, but also I just was like, there is, I'm not adding anything to it. It is not adding anything to me. And it was kind of this weird friendship that just fizzled out. I guess you would say mm. I didn't kind of just storm out of there. Like a little bit later I did, but yeah, um, it, it just seemed like it was less and less relevant mm. because I was figuring myself out by myself. It, yeah. it sounds like what I'm hearing is that you took everything seriously you were told you were told you you are part of this bigger vision and if you serve like i'm just imagining some of these sermons that you'd be hearing like mm. if you give your all if you bring all your tithes to the storehouse not just your money if you bring yourself yeah your salary is what 30 or 40k a year like god will provide like you can you can push through and it sounds like you just believed it so much mm. that something broke and you're still trying to piece it together going, but I did everything yep. that mm -hmm. I was told I should do. Yeah, it was a little bit like that, but it's also like I that thing in my mind that was like, I knew it. I knew this wasn't going to work for you. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, we'd start, for anyone who's never been to a Hillsong or a, or a church service with churches like that, we would start with a couple of songs and then, the MC or someone would get up and this was my job um, on Sundays as well would get up and, and read out the praise reports like hey let's praise God if someone's been healed from a kidney disease or whatever someone's been given a brand new job someone's been healed of depression and everyone would clap and you'd just be like wow God's so real because I read this thing on a on a piece of paper right like from God knows who um, and then you know you in the other hand you have this wad of like prayer requests that people have written in and you know like someone here's praying for for finances someone here's praying for a, a partner someone's praying for their kid to get into the right school someone's praying for a wage increase or whatever and so you know it reinforced every single time we got together it's like that group think hive mind thing that I know we've talked about before um, where you're just like okay this is how it is you bring your requests and your prayers to God he answers them and that's what we do um, you don't have to take responsibility for your life and figure things out for yourself and actually stand up on your own two legs. You're just giving this responsibility to, you know, um, 
to, to God and, and it's almost like this weird genie in a bottle situation perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess. But it, it almost sounds like there's that element of it where it's like, okay, I'm going to outsource this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for this. Yeah. But what you just said where you said, I knew it, not for me. And it sounds like you, you didn't get all the credit you like you're not you know making the responsibility to make this kind of stuff happen, but it sounds like when it fails, correct me if if I'm misreading this. Sounds like when it fails, it was your fault. It just doesn't work for you, or you did something wrong. Like the system, maybe are you the flaw in the system? Correct. Mm. Mm. And then that's just the big. Sh- then you're broken, and then that's the shame. There's a lot I've forgotten, but a couple of things I'll never forget. It was this one one pastor who I, I love and I respect this person now even. But, you know, they came to me and said, you know, there's just something wrong with you and I don't know what it is. And that was it. And this was sort of before I'd gone to the doctor and checked in and started seeing a psychologist or whatever. And, you know, I, I one of the things I did was go to a, a Hillsong Christian psychologist was the first person I checked in with. And they were great. I'm, I'm sure they meant really well but you know the the message was continuously like hey you are a new creation in christ like give all things to god and all your responsibilities cares etc he's going to look after you and he's going to you know refresh you and, and i just didn't need that i needed to be told dave you need eight hours of sleep a night you need to eat properly you need a job that pays properly and you need to have friends and see your family that is what you need um try meditation and yoga i don't know whatever but just you know stop doing five services a sunday that's mm. what I needed. But you're part of this bigger machine. And so I suppose the buy-in yeah. that you got was like, I'm, I'm, I'm serving something bigger. Yeah. I'm serving something greater. So it, it's almost as if like in, in a lot of these conversations we've had, people are more critiquing like a theology. Mm. They're like, you know, God's not real. It's like a hoax. Like this doesn't work for me, blah, blah, blah. But it, it sounds like in your story, Dave, like it really seems to center around this system. And I can't help but not think of Amazon as we've joked about of what does Amazon do? It wants the maximum profit for shareholders and it will squeeze out like minimum wage. It like doesn't want to pay minimum wage. doesn't want workers to unionize. Like every corporation is it's profit driven. And I can't help but draw that parallel between the mega church squeezing down. How can it get free labor but then there's this layer that Amazon doesn't have because Amazon isn't saving humanity. Mm. It's mm. just getting your cheap Correct. stuff fast. Yeah. But, but now that you get this story, it's like, well, there's a reason why you're slave labor, so to speak, because you're building the kingdom. Yeah. And I think it goes back to our core like values and in, in the whole church that I see kind of manifesto that Brian wrote all those years ago, like to lead an impact in every sphere of life, to change mindsets, empower people, you know, um, altars full of repentant sinners, um, buildings struggling to contain the increase, you know, all of that stuff is really rousing and and motivational in some ways. But then you sort of think like um, nothing in there about mentally healthy, whole people um, looking after themselves, having healthy relationships with each other (laughs) and their families. And, you know, I like... For me, as a young, impressionable guy, like I take responsibility for getting sucked down the vortex of wanting to be involved in something like that and and that was on me. And I also think that responsibility needs to be taken within the organizations like this, like Hillsong, like Arise Church and all of the ACC churches that we you know hear about all of the time 
and in the states all of those churches like we need to empower people to look after themselves seek help when they need it um learn consent learn to look after themselves in relationships um learn to trust their instincts and trust you know uh data facts um you know there's there's a lot to answer for when it comes to people just getting up on stage and telling people how to live you know one thing that still makes me laugh a little i did three years of college at at hillsong and, and okay but i was never an accredited pastor i was an unqualified person leading a youth group of hundreds of people getting up on sundays talking to to people about how to live their lives preaching doing the offering message all of those things i did not have an economics degree i did not have any sort of psychological training i didn't have any sort of you know i guess credential Mm. um and i was let loose so that's just something to think about i guess i guess having the a church culture like that where you had the gifting obviously you went around you spoke at youth groups and yeah the charisma is the qualification yes you're right charismatic guy i said in the beginning <laughs> no no it's just when you're in these cultures it's just like it's almost it's hard like in these churches they're like pressure cookers they're like hunger games right yeah. and there's like all these people working their butts off and, and getting burnt out but then these champions arise and they're like the the um the, the people that rise to the top and they come from all around the world to Hillsong College and they um, fight it out and these the most charismatic, good-looking, talented ones rise to the top yep. and they get the coveted I'm on staff yep. badge and um, everyone else wants to be them and you just – it's just a supply and demand side thing. Like, I think we spoke about this the other night. Like you've just got yeah. a limited amount of staff positions and then all this supply hitting. So, of course, that's going to keep costs Push down. wages down. Keeps wages down. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Dave's earning, although you are qualified and everything, you're, you're on the 30K mark, which heaps of people still want. But at the same time, you're seeing the checks getting mailed through for certain speakers. And I've been in that situation as well. So what are we talking about? You're making 30K a year. Yeah. What are some of the checks you're seeing coming through for speaking events? On one Sunday, more than that. So but, what, what, what did that feel like then for you at that time when you're just like... I should qualify that. I sort of wasn't traveling around getting that kind of money for speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I would have well, held off the mental breakdown in that, in that case. Um, no, I, so yeah, good point. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't, and I haven't seen the books specifically, but I don't imagine pastors' wages are crazy a lot. I think they're probably in line with, I don't know, the education sector or something like that, I would say. Um, but if, like you said, you are someone who's charismatic and, quote unquote anointed and and sort of carries this message and I guess you're marketable and you hit it with people uh, and you know there's a there's sort of a good response to your style of doing things you might get invited to conferences churches etc and especially outside of Australia there is a lot of um, opportunity for people to do that Um, and I think what you get paid when you speak in sort of these other situations yeah that can be a lot of money um i definitely saw a lot of that and and i think in that article you know that we did um around the whole what we used to call it the five-star church like when you when you come to hillsong church every single thing that you experience is going to be so excellent right so if you're a guest walking into the green room Mm. you would get your beautiful welcome basket you would be driven by your personal driver who's probably a volunteer but anyway um you'd be you know given the latest album 
or whatever signed copy i don't know an ipad um, yeah yeah like just a casual ipad if, if you needed it oh. um you know you'd be you know a bottle of evian on the stage for you and then and where afterwards, are you staying oh you're definitely staying at you know somewhere like the shangri-la or the marriott or four seasons or whatever um and so, so this would be like a Carl Lentz type guy if he was to roll into the thing. He's no, he's a big dog, yeah. He, no, but you're it, the thing is that's what he's saying. It's just, it's this guest culture of excellence. So mm. even the not Carl Lentz, so oh. it, it's held up okay. quiet. It's like we're going to bring our best to the guests. Yes, oh. and I think the key thing is is that the person that's inviting them is also getting the best from his friend. It's a reciprocal friendship, yes. Does that make sense? Oh, <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. I'm hearing, yeah. bag of cash right. getting passed around from Sydney to LA oh. to New York. You're just describing lobbying groups and politics and capitalism and... Yeah, but I... And Client coming, lunches, yeah. But to be <laughs> yes, fair, <laughs> fundraising dinners. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think... I don't, like, at least from the people I know that have... Uh, in, in this space I don't think anyone's sitting there and, and some people have used that money well And some people have started organisations And things like that And I think that needs to be highlighted Not everyone is driving around a Rolls Royce And, sure. and whatnot um, But if you follow the Preachers and Sneakers accounts You're certainly living a pretty good life um, yeah. And so I guess that's the grey area It's just these free market economics come in of like What Dave's saying is that You're a great speaker You write a few books that go international Okay, now we need to then fill up Hillsong Conference. Well, then we can say X this speaker, speaker is coming. Yeah. And so that's a draw card. So you've already making money off the books. You get to the church and man, some of the money that people make, not just from the speaking fee, but from what they sell. Um, don't want to mention certain names, but you know, people have got that dialed in. They're walking away with names. multi... I, yeah, I don't want to expose it, but like... There's certain people from America. I'll just start naming. From America. Yeah, feel free. Um, <laughs> I can only think of Carl. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're coming in and they're selling their merchandise Joyce and everything Meyer. as well. Yeah, these people, that's a well-oiled machine. And mm. um, I remember having massive issues with this with my pastor as well. And they, and they were really good with me trying to talk that through. They say, did you know Joyce Mayer? I think she was feeding like 100,000 people a day. And I was like, oh, wow. So I guess that's, that's cool. You know, she gets exposed for the big houses and everything, but she's also doing something. And so there's this confusion, right? I guess yeah. you had that. You're like... You know, it's not up to us to call people out for the way they make money and how much they make and all of that stuff. I think like, good on you. I'm into entrepreneurship. I believe that, you know, like mm. let's jump in the fast lane and make, you know, some quick millions and, and do whatever. I'm cool with that as long as it's, you know, ethical. Um, and I think these, these are probably ethical situations. And at the same time, when we go back to the whole stakeholders conversation, if you're chatting with people, um, you know, in city council and government, uh, local schools, uh, local groups, even members that are coming along to church, what we don't do is get up and say, did you know that here is the wage that this pastor makes, but here is also what they um, are able to make from you know, all these other things that they do. Like, why can't we just tell the truth? Why can't we just yeah. be realistic about it? Why can't we just say that, hey, so-and-so has built a youth ministry or built a program with all of these results, but it was built on the back of hundreds of volunteers who gave of their time and their energy and mm. had those interactions. What you don't see at Hillsong Church ever is pastors in the foyer actually engaging with you and having conversation. Mm. Maybe that I've heard that that's changed since yeah. everything's gone down lately, but the green room was there for, um, you know, the speakers to, I guess, you know, seek God with some grapes and crackers and sparkling water or whatever nearby and someone on the barista 
machine, coffee yeah. machine making coffee. And it was beautiful, those green rooms, right? They're beautifully... Yeah, but no one understands that that's a thing. Like I think when I was mm. chatting to this journalist, like she's like, what do you mean a green room? What do you mean a gift basket? What do you mean? <laughs> what? Driving? Why do you have to drive them? There's an Uber. <laughs> Why can't they just get an Uber? And I'm like, you're right. You're absolutely right. Mm. But we've turned it into this thing that's like unrecognizable in a lot of ways. And I just, you know, I think people just need to know what these places are. And, and I think people need to go eyes wide open. I'm wondering, I feel like you're even more gracious to the system than as I'm hearing it, than my judgments are. Because he, here is this system that exists for the greater good of other people. Jesus, the ultimate pauper running around healing poor people the homeless guy the home literal homeless <laughs> guy with 12 blokes hanging out with him he's like see that leper yeah i'm his mate and all the you know like so so this is the imagery of this yeah. book that everyone's reading and then there's this church built in the name of this of this book and then part of like part of me and i think maybe this is why it's so divisive and maybe why the media loves it and maybe why uh, the culture wars just want to like nail Christians to the wall, so to speak, is because it sounds to me, I'm, I'm just getting this clashing of pure capitalist ideology. Like you said, hey, make money, do what you can. Like we're all here to make money. But, but even- Probably so- pay taxes at the same time. Well, Also that. Well, <laughs> even society, as I'm looking at the outrage on- line about Hillsong has a problem with an organization that claims to be in the name of this poor guy to help the poor. It seems like they have a problem when they look at Brian Houston's salary and go, okay, I get you pay CEOs well, but it sounds like there's this incongruency with this claim being made about we're here to serve people. And then we're also going to pay this preacher in sneakers X amount of thousands of dollars. And then we're going to pay Dave to work his ass off nothing. So it's, it sounds like, that sound maybe sounds to be the problem of like wh- why people have such a problem with it, but I've never heard it articulated. I've never heard people want to see Hillsong be brought down, whether you're a non-Hillsong Pentecostal church or whether you're just some person on news.com.au, you want to click that Brian Houston story. And I wonder if it is the rules of the game of capitalism, we feel like they shouldn't apply if you're going to be using religion, spirituality, emotion to get something out of people. I don't know. That's just some thoughts that have been popping in my head. And I guess a sweatshop of free labor of young yeah. people. I think going back to the whole uh, comment, commentary around like how did this even start? I don't think anyone got out of bed to create this like hunger games of church and like who's going to rise to the top and, and earn the most or whatever. That's how every business runs, right? Correct. Mm. So when we superimpose like a, a structure like that, a corporate mm. structure on something that is so far from corporate, mm. you create competition, you create um, sort of, you know, well, who, why is he getting paid more than me and why is that happening? And and so people kind of, you know, want to do better than Hillsong. They want their own church to go further and, and release more albums and sell more, you know, whatever. And so, the, you know, we can't sort of separate that stuff. And I think... For a lot of years I bought or I drank the Kool-Aid around like, hey, people just don't understand. The world doesn't understand, you know, what God's capable of and what our church could be. And we see a church that's like A, B and C and it's all these other things. And we thought, yeah, that's so interesting and innovative and and it's so kind of like inspiring and and we want to be part of that. But at the same time, I think what it was an idea and it was inspirational, but it wasn't really thought through um, the way that it should have been. And I think that 
now that we're seeing so much fallout and so many stories of you know heartache and abuse and mistreatment and mistrust and all of the things that are happening in those environments it is not just brian it is not just a couple of people that have done the wrong thing it's a systemic issue within the organization at hillsong and i'm sure many others where people turn a blind eye to things going wrong because they just want to preserve this ideal or this thing that isn't real or this mm. thing that isn't working and it can't last. And, and I feel that the checks and balances are even somewhat fairer in the mm. corporate world. Like when you say shareholders, like, you know, we're going to make as much money for the shareholders. We're going to make as yeah. much, like the money that's passed around in those, like we'd say, let's just call out Apple. You know, it's not just Tim Cook and, he, and the guys that get up on stage that are cranking in the money. There's a lot of people that have made money from Apple and they pay at a way that to make sure that you hit beyond minimum wage, which churches just seem to get around somehow. And then you have, I guess, a lack of checks and balances in the church. There's this all this, like you would say, opacity around, yeah. they're not paying taxes, they're not disclosing their finances. And so then all of a sudden, free market economics just kick in. It's just like, I have yeah. free labor here and I have willing participants. Yeah, there's and, no accountability. And I think, yeah, there's no accountability. And then I guess the key point is that where you're bucking up against a trend in, in Australia, the developing world, that churches are on the down. They're going down. Like youth ministries yeah. are difficult to get kids to these days. Then all of a sudden you see this church, this advertisement comes through, Hillsong Conference, and there's 20,000 people there. And Brian's overseeing this church of 100,000 people. And you know what? Their youth ministry isn't just 20 kids that rock up awkwardly to 10-pin bowling. Their youth ministry is in the thousands. And so I think the shame factor kicks in for an average pastor mm. that's just kicking on, a, you know, the average church is really around 100, 150. And he's looking at this going, what's he got that I don't have? Mm. And I guess I need to learn something from him. And that's how then these cultures emerge of like this, we're all trying to find success and everyone's trying to compete against each other in this thing of like, I want my church to grow. I want, you know, I want people to be saved. I want my, my area to change. They go to a conference like this and they're like, okay, Dave goes back to Canberra and goes, I've just got to be a bit of an arsehole. I've got to be a bit of a capitalist pig and make people work harder and make them cast vision and they need more resources. And then yeah. all of a sudden I've been in youth, massive youth events where you're, you're asking kids to come up and give a, like a miracle offering. Yeah. Do you want to tell what a miracle offering is? Because I think this is just, this has to be said about youth ministry <laughs> oh, miracle offerings. Yeah. I, again, a thing that I took for granted is everyone does that. Um, so we would have you're going a- to love this. Well, we called it Heart for the House, right? It, it conveniently happened just around tax time. So you could, um, <laughs> yeah, as, a, as an average punter, you could sort of donate uh, whatever amount of money um, and get sort of tax deductibility. Um, there were tiers of it for normal churchmen, but let's focus on youth. So at our youth ministry, we would say, you know, hey, we're going to have our Heart for the House weekend. You know, whatever you can give, let's make it a sacrifice. It's not about the amount. It's not about like the actual kind of the money in the bucket. It's about the sacrifice uh, and what you're giving up for God. And your average income sit around this so I can presume no, what your is, sacrifice might be. This is youth be. ministry. This I is youth, high school, high school students, right? So yeah, maybe some of them do have stashes of cash in their parents or whatever or have stolen a parent's credit card or whatever. But, you know, for me, I remember I, I saw literal mobile phones go in the bucket or like people's sneakers or just stuff that- Guitars, like guitars, anything. like gifts of guitars. What did the church do with that? Um, we, you know, Facebook I think we usually gave them back. I, I think I'm not really sure. I can't remember. From what I've seen, like obviously they take that money and they give it to something. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Yeah, so it just, goes into the church somehow. 
but, but that's teaching this the preacher next week with those yeah. well, we're, we're, like, we're going to pay for this 40 grand yeah. honorarium somehow the, the guitarist that Kids. week you're like oh that's that's my we fender. need some Macca's money in here yeah so I get it, it's just again conditioning right mm. yeah and yeah. like and I've been in those in those meetings where yeah. it's gone around once yeah and then someone's got up and they said there's more it's more. an ultimate cringe fest. Like there's more. Yeah, just, and then these kids get up again, tears in their eyes, and they're giving away their cash. They, they're, they're giving away their possessions for this thing. Okay. And once again, I, I just see. Probably be vapes these days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't judge kids these again, days. Positive. They're giving away Net NFTs. Positive. They're Net like, have oh, I got an Ethereum address? Because I'm need to give away everything. <laughs> Are we on Coinspot? <laughs> That'll be Hillsong. Oh. And yes, we accept crypto. Yeah. <laughs> it. It seems fascinating to me. It doesn't, the critique doesn't seem to be going the direction I thought the critique would be going. It sounds like, once again, good lesson for kids to learn. You know, sacrifice things. Give to others. Like, let, let's practice detachment. That's a great thing I'm trying to learn. You know, it's, it's just stuff in the end. Don't let it control you, blah, blah, blah. Great moral. But, what, but the problem we keep coming up against is like, hang on, who is this going to? And then you discover, hang on, you Hillsong Church is worth how much? Brian Houston's getting what? The leadership's getting who? Hang on, they're do, hang on, where where is this going to? And it, it, if I'm to summarize what at least I'm hearing, and you can point out where I've missed it, it sounds like you've got churches struggling in a small, and this is kind of from your experience, struggling small churches, and then this one little hill. And a church on top of it and named itself Hillsong. I don't know if that's what happened or whatever. And it discovered this magical bean called capitalism, marketing, CEO. Good, good music to and, export to the world. Well, mm. Yep, marketing strategies, merchandise. And it discovered like management practices from the corporate world. It discovered how to best sell the product called Jesus and how to best make money out of the product called Jesus. And that actually made the church money. And then it also brought a lot of people in. So then tick, tick. If, if you've got people, not just money, you've got lots of people, now we're ministering, right? And so... Then every other church went, oh, yeah, let's pass around that crack pipe of capitalism and let's just get on it together. And so the thing that seems to be critiqued most, most people just hate on religion for its theology or its oppressive like ideas. It really sounds like you're critiquing what the current political left is critiquing about corporate Australia or corporate America is profit at all costs. And it sounds like the cost in the church is no transparency and the human cost that you personally felt feeding this machine. Mm. And you, in some ways sounds like you felt lied to or deceived because you were told a story that didn't pan out and you paid the price for that. Mm. Tell me what you make of that. I guess so. I guess that's one take on it, right? I think at its best, like I'll say it again, I think at its best church can be good um, for a group of people if they choose to align themselves with those values and beliefs and if they choose to, you know, um, want to have a good time together in, in the name of whatever, then okay. But if you start to sort of aggressively try and recruit people and, and make them fit into those values and make them sort of, like you said, like at all costs um, and, and sort of pitting kids against their parents, against their brothers and sisters, or, you know, starting to give people all of these, 
standing up on stage at youth group and saying, hey, you've got a call of God on your life, you should pursue ministry, might seem like nothing to you as a leader, but to the kid that hears it, to the student who's only 14, 15 like me that hears it and thinks that's actually the real God of the universe speaking to that person and then to me and I should act on those words. Like do you really, do these people stop to think what they're doing? Um, I think we really need to, have a little bit more accountability, a little bit more transparency. Like I, I met this guy whose life motto is um, do no harm and take no shit. And I love it. Like, why can't we just do that? Which I think is a great transition into what you're doing now. Yeah. So about a year ago, I, I just became aware of a campaign on Instagram called religion shouldn't hurt. And it was people sharing their stories really quickly of kind of what they'd been through and, and just kind of the, the positive message, no anti-church. It wasn't anti-church. It wasn't anti anything. It was just, you know, religion and church and whatever just shouldn't be harmful. And, and I agree. I think we can all agree that that's true. And so we sort of met with this guy who started it and a friend of mine, my, my housemate back in the day, um, Michael Bones and I, um, decided to maybe just start it here in Australia. So Michael and myself, another awesome girl, Alex Carlisle from C3, she's got an awesome story as well. Um, we just kind of got together and thought, how can we sort of make some make some sort of a difference here? And we put together a change.org petition. Um, you can find that and, and just Google. I think it's demand that Hillsong includes survivors and ex-members in their independent review. So they've announced, Hillsong's announced an independent review. Um, I mean, that in itself is a term that I don't think we all understand exactly. But anyway, we'll go with it. Um, an independent review into the way things are done and the way you know they can improve as an organization. I think it's important that um, it's not just a kind of PR exercise um, like it has been um, in different situations in the past, but that we actually listen to these stories. And so what we're doing at Religion Shouldn't Hurt, it's just rsh.org.au. Um, you can share your story. You can be anonymous, you can de-identified, you can share as much or as little as you want. And we are seeing, yeah, a lot of people with interesting stories spanning from just, you know, I went to church at this place and, you know, they were just really unfriendly and I didn't have a great time all the way through to, you know, I was systematically treated terribly at this place or abused in this way or, you know, there's just so much coming out. And I think it's time that um, institutions like Hillsong Church really take a look at themselves and, and adjust what needs to be adjusted. What would you say now to that 15-year-old kid that's about to get in the car and go to that youth group? I mean, if you could just take him aside, different identity, and just have a conversation with him, what would you say to him? Yeah, the TLDR would be listen to your parents um, and do what wow. they tell you to do. Um, <laughs> and if I wanted to package it in a way that he would listen and understand, I'd probably say, Dave, hey, just back yourself um, listen to your intuition. Don't just buy what people sell you because they're in front of you at the time. Like have a real good think about where you're going because that path leads somewhere that is, um, yeah, going to suck up the next 20 or something years of your life. Um, so, yeah. And non-controversially, mm. I think even people who might be a part of the Hillsong megachurch structure or any other megachurch or any church listening to this, they might have gone in going, oh man, like I'm going to disagree. I'm not going to like this conversation. They're attacking the church. They're attacking God's, God's building, God's people. I think there's the perspective where you look at it and go, like the work you're doing with that organization, religion shouldn't hurt. I think even 
Christians, part of the system right now, even part of Hillsong, would would probably agree and go, you know what, it probably shouldn't. And then there's that opportunity for people to go, I might have had a completely different journey to you and different experience entirely, but why? What, what's the harm in listening to other people's experience and then ensuring systems and structures are not built to incentivize more people being trodden by the cogs of the machine of saving people in the name of God, I suppose. So I think surely that's a point where everyone will kind of come on board with. Yeah, and it's true. We definitely have chatted to several people who still are a part of Hillsong Church and many other churches who really back um, the concept like that religion shouldn't hurt because it's true. Like we, we can agree on that. And, and so I think you're right. Um, yeah, so for people who do sort of want to get in touch or have a story to tell, like I think it's a great time to tell it um, if that's the right thing for them and if it's that safe for them. If I think another thing I want to mention actually is that like – um, a little while ago, Hillsong and many other um, institutions have joined something called the National Redress Scheme, which was set up um, as a response to the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse um, a few years ago. So if you are a victim of, of something serious that's happened in an institution like that and they are part of the Redress Scheme, scheme then you are able to go through a process to uh, yeah, find compensation in some way that doesn't involve um, some of the more traditional legal pathways so that's something to look into for people if they want to a lot of people don't know that um mm. so yeah there are definitely ways you can seek support and help for whatever it is yeah we'll put the that link in the show notes dave thanks so much for coming on sharing your journey and your story it's given us some ideas to digest i think certainly thanks boys thanks for tuning in and i'll catch everyone in the next episode and for those of you sticking around as plus subscribers of the show or super friends of the show, as I like to call them, if you're a super friend of the show, uh, you'll be getting an extended conversation continuing now. Boom. So, Dave. <laughs>